Well, for the past months, we have been studying our way through Ephesians, and we studied the first three chapters of doctrinal truth on how God has united the church in Christ. And Paul makes a powerful and practical appeal as we move into chapter 4 for us to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul has been talking in the first three chapters about how Christ has brought about unity between Jew and Gentile, between Samaritan and Jew, between Greek and Jew, how God has taken people who were once enemies and united them together in the gospel. And he moves on to become more specific as he, as he talks about being united together in our church, in the local church. And last time we, we walked through Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, Paul was exhorting us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And in the context of the local church, this is what God desires to see, that, that we maintain a unity, a unity between one another that, that speaks of the power of God in the life of the believer. And as we we study Ephesians 4 again this morning, read with me in the passage we'll be studying, starting in verse 7 of chapter 4. Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Father, Help us to be unified in Grace Church. Help us to understand what you are saying in these passages this morning. Lord, help me to articulate clearly your truth. And God, speak to us. Speak to each one of us. And Lord, in your speaking, where where there needs to be conviction, bring conviction. And where there needs to be encouragement, bring encouragement. And Lord, through this, unite us, unite this church, that Christ may receive the glory that he deserves, and the church may experience the fullness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I, this is not false humility, it's just honest assessment, I I really, in some ways, apologize because this is a rich passage that could be preached on for months. Uh, 
D. Martin Lloyd-Jones spent probably two months in this one passage alone, just word after word. And I, I don't have Lloyd-Jones' gift, nor do I believe we should spend two months. Um, I'm not sure I could articulate it properly. And so in some respects, I, I, I think we're, we're sometimes skimming the surface, but, but it's God's word and it's always deep and it's always rich. And so I, I, I do believe God has something to, to say to us this morning. God is speaking because it is God's word. And when we read God's word, we are listening to God speak to us. We are listening to the voice of God speaking to his church so that his church can be all that God has called it to be, holy and blameless and unified for the glory of God. And so I, I stand here today not confident in, in my own abilities for sure, but, but confident that, that the Holy Spirit is present in our church and speaking through his word. And that when you listen, you're not so much hearing Larry speak as you are listening to God talk with you today. That God has something he wants to communicate to you personally and to us corporately. And it's why we gather together. It's why we gather as a church. Because God speaks to us corporately. He does. We have these wonderful times in the morning of our devotions where we read God's word and we pray and we hear God speaking to us and we encounter the Lord personally. But, But there's this dynamic that when we gather together as the church of Christ, God is is present in a unique way. And it's in that uniqueness that he wants to speak directly to you. So listen well this morning. Listen well every Sunday morning, whether it is me speaking or Hosello or another guest speaker. Listen well. Because God is speaking. Now, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, Paul exhorts us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And and he's speaking about that walking in context of the local church. He's not just talking about an isolated way, but he's talking about us walking together in, in unity because he desires, God's desire is to see us unify, to unite as we read in Ephesians 1, that, we're, that Christ is uniting all things to himself. And so Paul strongly urges us to make every effort to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That unity is possible because as we read in Ephesians 4, in 1 through 6, that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. His exhortation to unity is because we are one in Christ through a variety of cultural differences and diverse backgrounds. How we are all unique. We are one in Christ. But Paul moves on in verse 7 and he talks about unity not in a way that, that we might think. 
Because often when we think of unity, we can think of conformity. Something that has, I think in the past, often been charged against the church. Well, they're all the same. They all kind of walk in step together. And in, and in many ways we do. But, but in verse 7, Paul, Paul talks about unity being achieved through diversity. Through the diverse gifts that God gives us. He describes a unified church in a strikingly different way. Church unity is, is the diversity of gifts God bestows upon his people. That every person in this room is uniquely different. You are all wired differently. Just before the meeting, I'm talking to Paul and to, to Tom Menard, and, and they're just, they're glowing about fishing. And I'm thinking, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'd rather take a nap. <laughs> but then you ask me about golf, and my eyes light up. And Tom goes, yeah, I take a nap during golf. It's the same thing. We all have different desires and wants and, and temperaments and personalities that contribute to the diversity among us. But each one of us has been given gifts by the Spirit. Diverse gifts to unify us. And that's what I love about this passage and that's what I love about church life is that, is that God in in working through his spirit, brings about these very different, very unique people. And he unites us around our diversity. And it is those diverse gifts that God specifically wants to use to unite Grace Church. That each person sitting here this morning is uniquely gifted by God's Spirit. So Paul is continuing his teaching on, on, on unity by talking about diversity in verse 7. And then, as Paul often does, he interrupts himself in the middle of a thought. Because verse 7 really is continued in verse 11. When Paul says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts and he gave the apostles and the prophets. That's how this is supposed to read if you just kept the thought going. But Paul interrupts himself and he interrupts himself by quoting a psalm, Psalm 68 verse 18. And Paul does it because he wants to explain what he's trying to say by using a psalm. So he's using the Old Testament to explain this idea of unity through diversity and how this unity comes about. It's a prophetic psalm of David's. It's a psalm that is foreshadowing the gospel. In Old Testament times, when kings were victorious, they would parade through the city the captives they had taken as a, as a show of victory. And as they marched, they would distribute to the people, as they marched through the city, all of the, the people of the city would line up and watch this, this procession. 
And the king would take the spoils of war, all that he had won from this this conquering of this king and, and his procession, and he would take those spoils and he would distribute them to the people as they would parade through the city. And that's what Paul is referencing here. And in this psalm, David is celebrating God's victory on his behalf over his enemies, specifically the Jebusites. And as an Israelite king, he would parade through Jerusalem. He would parade these captives, the ones that that he had captured, the, the enemies that he had captured. He would parade as a show, as a humiliation to them. And as David would go through the city, he would pass out the spoils, but they would go through Jerusalem. His end point would be Mount Zion, ascending to the place of God. And the ascension to Mount Zion by the king is a foreshadowing of Jesus ascending to heaven. And the procession through the city is a foreshadowing of Jesus taking captive Satan, sin, and death, and humiliating them. Jesus is reigning in heaven as the triumphant king. He gives spoils to his children. And these spoils, in a sense, are these gifts we read about in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that's why Paul goes on to talk about these captives. Paul applies this picture to Christ's ascension. Here is the ultimate triumph of God in in Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. He is the ultimate king who has conquered Satan, who has conquered sin, who has conquered death. And by a great victory, he leads these, these captives in humiliation through the city. And that which once held us captive are now being held captive. And this is a story in Psalm 68. It's a story of redemption. It's the gospel foreshadowed. More specifically, in verse 10, it, it reminds us as Jesus, as Jesus descended, it is really referencing his incarnation. When it talks about the lower regions of earth, he has come down to earth to dwell among us. And then when it talks about his ascension, It is reminding us of Christ's resurrection. And as he has been resurrected, as he ascended, as Paul writes here, high, far above the heavens. In other words, Christ is over all. It is from that position as the ruling and reigning sovereign that he distributes because of his victory on the cross. He distributes to his church grace. He gives you grace. And he gives you grace by giving you gifts. I hope that encourages you. Jesus reigns on earth. He's not not a distant God. He reigns on earth through his church. He reigns practically in us and through us. And he uses these gifts to do that so that he can unite all things, that he can fulfill all things, which is the glory of the gospel going throughout the earth, 
more lives coming to Christ that one day there will be a church who experiences the new heavens and the new earth. Brothers and sisters, we were singing this morning. You know, we're singing, we're singing songs about being before the the throne of God, that God is accepting us into heaven. I, I want you to think about that. You could be standing before God, hearing, depart from me, I never knew you. You could be standing before God, hearing, judge him. And yet, we're not. And not only do we not experience judgment, we experience grace through gifts that God gives us. As a mighty conqueror, he lavishes upon us the spoils of war. Grace, gifts, not just saving grace, but sanctifying grace, glorifying grace, future grace that's, that's promised because he's ascended, because he's ruling and he's reigning. And he's ruling and reigning in your life. And he's given you grace to see this life to the end. And he wants, to, he wants you to use that grace, those gifts that he's given you. And he's talking about spiritual gifts here. He wants you to use those gifts for the good of the local church, for the unity, to see the church be unified. So that Christ can fill all things. And that he will at one day unite all things. We have been given gifts by Christ to help us maintain our unity in Christ. That we might display the fullness of Christ. We've been given gifts by Christ that we can maintain the unity in Christ. So we can display the fullness of Christ to the world. So three points this morning. Why does Jesus give grace gifts to his church? Why does he do that? Well, three, number one, so we can maintain our unity as individuals, so we can maintain our unity corporately, and so we can protect our unity. The first thing, so we can maintain our unity individually. Every one of us carries a responsibility to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There isn't anybody in this church freed from the responsibility to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Paul writes to the church to make every effort. It's the way in which God does want to unite all things in Christ through us. We've received grace to do that and gifts to be employed to that end. What is encouraging and comforting is that Paul writes, grace has been given to all of us. There isn't anybody in this church who is not gifted. There isn't anybody in this church who does not have a grace gift to express. They're just different. And for us to, to grow individually, to, to bring about unity in, in our individual lives, we need to practice the gifts. We need to exercise the gifts that God has given us. It does not serve 
or care for the church to be passive and to do nothing or to do little. God wants us to to use the grace in our lives that he's given us. There are so many gifted people in this church. It has been evident from the moment Marilyn and I arrived in Maryland as we've watched you unite together and, and exercise your gifts, serving, encouraging, gifts of leadership, gifts of mercy, and so many gifts as listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and Romans 12. There, there are many gifts among us. We all have gifts, Paul is saying here. No one misses out on the generosity of Christ. No one. The spoils of war have been given to all of us. That, that's Paul's point in verse 7. Our our gifts are not given to us based on our personality, not based on our status, our cultural background, our age, but simply upon grace is what Paul says here. And no gift is more important than any other. I I mean that. Larry Malamut standing here, whatever gifts I have are no more important than than the gifts that are exercised in children's ministry, in greeting, in ushering, in serving, in mercy, in giving. There's just, there's no more important gift. Now those gifts play important roles in different ways in the life of the church. And and Paul makes a point to, to explain that to us in verse 11. But, but everybody in this church has been given wonderful gifts by Jesus Christ. Every person in this room, every Christian in the world. And they're uniquely apportioned. So, so Paul, Paul's communicating, there, there's a measure of, of gifts. I, I'm, I'm called to be a pastor. There are, that I have a, a portion, I have a measure of a gift to be a pastor. That's the role God's given me. There are a lot better pastors out there. Trust me. There are a lot better speakers out there. Trust me. It's just, you know, no one's asking me to go to John Piper's church and speak. I understand it. This is the measure of what God has given me. But I want to steward it well. What's the measure that God's given you? And how are you stewarding it this morning? How are you serving in this church? How are you unifying this church through the use of the gifts God has given you? No one, no one in this church should be doing nothing. Everyone in this church should be doing something. The controlling principle is that Jesus is the head of the church and, the, and he's the giver of a variety of gifts which are enjoyed by the church as every member, as every member willingly uses the gifts God has given them. So we are, we are given gifts individually 
a certain measure so that this church can be unified, but we're also given gifts so that we can maintain our unity corporately. P.T. O'Brien said this, the commentator said, within the unity of the body, each member has a distinctive service to render for the effective functioning of the whole. The ability to perform this service is due to the grace given by the ascended Christ to each one. In in other words, everybody has to be doing their part. Everybody has been given gifts to their part. If, if, If it's not happening, if it's just limited to a real passionate few or it's it's there's a real strong group and then you got the fringe it it just doesn't work we desperately need everyone fully using their gifts at grace church it, we can't function as god intends and your unique and diverse gift plays a unique and specific role in this church. And if you don't, we don't function as well. A pastor once received a letter from a church member. He said, Dear pastor, there are 566 people in our church. 100 are frail and elderly, and that leaves 466 to do all the work. But 80 are young people at school or in college, and that leaves 386 to do the work. But 150 are tired business people, and that leaves 236 to do all the work. Another 150 of those are busy with children, which leaves only 86 to do all the work. But 15 live too far away to come regularly, and that leaves only 71 to do all the work. And 69 say they've already done their bit for the church. That leaves you and me, and I'm exhausted, so good luck to you. (laughs) May that never be the story of Grace Church. May there never be a group of weary people who are doing all the work, who are using the wonderful grace gifts God has given them. May the the workload be equally shared because when it is equally shared, unity really is expressed in the church. It's... I know of no other activity in serving together and using the unique gifts that brings about a uniting than, than, than serving together in, whether it's on a worship team or ushering or showing up at, at someone's house to help them move, whatever it is, when, when peop, God's people gather together. And it's interesting, you show up to somebody's house who's moving and not everybody does the same thing. The unique gifts that God has given people are expressed you see guys with, with mechanical backgrounds unhooking things and, and electrical backgrounds unhooking stuff. And, and I mean, they don't let me do stuff like that. But, but guys with carpentry background helping out, you know, in, in moving into a new house and setting things up. And, and the ladies get in there and they get the kitchen all set up and, and, and then decorating the house. I mean, it's just the unique ways God has wired us. He's created us. And Paul says there's, there's a measure that Christ gives. That the ascended Christ, who is ruling, who has humiliated our enemies, and now rules in our lives, wants to rule here, is ruling here by distributing these gifts so that we, as a church, can be unified. 
Paul, in verse 11, focuses on a specific set of gifts, gifts to help build the church. He talks about, he mentions these gifts because they uniquely provide what is most critical to the church to maintain unity. And that are the teaching gifts. All of these gifts in Ephesians 4.11 are, are public gifts. And he gave the apostles, messengers of Christ, the prophets, speaking on behalf of God, the evangelists, those who proclaim the gospel, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. These are, these are all teaching gifts. And although the church is made up of, of many gifted people, Paul, Paul is focusing in on these unique gifts in this passage. But, but, he is, but he's in verse 7 making sure that, that we just don't focus in on these gifts for the local church. He's saying, look, there's more gifts for the local church. The church is made up of people with many gifts for a variety of uses. Now, in verse, in verse 11, though, he, he wants us to understand what these grace gifts to the church are for. So, he's, in essence, right now, he's, just, he's talking about me as your pastor, that one of my responsibilities is to equip the saints to teach and to train He's telling me that I'm also to equip you to do the work of ministry, that I'm not doing the work of ministry by myself, but that my job is to equip you and to help you in your gifts to do the work of ministry. So that there's not exhausted people walking around Grace Church and an exhausted pastor walking around Grace Church. All of us are responsible for the work of ministry. Homer Kent commentates, he said, Every believer, regardless of background, ability, or status, has a service to perform in the cause of Christ. Paul has a glorious vision of the church. And it's a vision he wants us to have. He has a glorious vision of a church that is united in Christ, that is united for the cause of Christ, a church that expresses the grace that God has given them, the gifts that God has bestowed upon them, that one day all things are united and Christ fills all things. That the fullness of Christ is displayed throughout the earth. That's a a high vision. That's what we live for. And oftentimes, obviously, day-to-day life can interrupt. It can invade. But Paul wisely gives us a vision of something greater. Paul goes on to say that that this equipping, these gift ministries to the church, are for the building up of the body of Christ, to build you up, to build us up. 
like we're building a house together. P.T. O'Brien again says the building of the body is inextricably linked with his intention of filling the universe with his rule since the church is his instrument in carrying out his purpose for the world. That's you. And my job as your pastor, as best as I am able, is to work at preaching and teaching and equipping and leading until we corporately, as Paul goes on to say, attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're given gifts so that we can corporately be unified so that the cause of Christ, so that the glory of Christ is what is foremost in our thinking. There are a lot of reasons to show up to a church on a Sunday morning. Worship could be lonely, just want to hang out with friends, you like to do things and serve, and they're all good things, they're all reasons that we're here. God wants us to be knit together as a family, but, but there is a vision that has to be out in front of us as Grace Church for however long God allows this church to exist. And that vision is the glory of Christ uniting all things to himself. We're we're here about the cause of Christ. We're in Clarksburg for a reason. Paul wants us to grab that. Paul wants us to become a mature church. That maturity is both individually and corporately. We, we need to mature as a church. Mature believers make a mature church. And it's to the measure of the fullness of Christ. I, I want to give my life for this church. And I know you want to do the same. And we do that practically by using the diverse gifts that God has given us so that we can maintain the unity of the faith. And finally, we are given gifts not just to help us grow individually, not just to help us grow corporately, but we're given gifts to protect our unity. To protect our unity. Look at verse 14. So that we're, we're, we have these gift men given to the church to equip, to build up, to do the work of ministry, to attain a unity of the faith, to grow in our knowledge of God, our intimacy of the Lord, to become a mature church so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We are given gifts to protect our unity. The unity that we strive for and make every effort to eagerly maintain is designed to protect us from falsehood. 
Jesus gives gifts to help us no longer be children who are easily deceived. That's the the gifts we exercise among the church with one another, whether it's in small group or men's study or the women getting together or sitting at a picnic together. We're, We're fellowshipping with one another. We're exercising the gifts and we're helping one another mature, which creates the unity that Paul is so passionate about. Jesus gives us gifts so that in our maturity we can be wise and discerning and battle the things that attempt to divide us. There are, there are a number of things that will attempt to divide Grace Church. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to be wise and mature and discerning to battle that division. Being eager to maintain the unity of the faith. Walking in a manner worthy of the calling. Using these gifts creates a a community and a unity among us. It's my primary role as the pastor to provide protection through teaching, but everyone here, everyone has a serious responsibility to protect this church when we're assaulted with divisive doctrines and ideas. It it, It falls upon your shoulders as well to protect Grace Church. And as we're anchored in the truth of God, we will know how to wisely discern and combat these falsehoods. Listen, we're not immune to the schemes that Paul writes about here, deceitful schemes. We're not immune to human cunning and craftiness. We've seen what what division can be created today. Back in the 80s, I was pastoring a church and one of one pastor on a on a team and there was somebody in our church who was attempting to divide the church and they wrote a i remember it was a 64 page treatise on all the things that were wrong with our church i mean it was a manuscript and they mailed it to every person in our church now think about today you can provide a thousand-page manuscript with a push of a button. The ability to divide is faster than it ever has been. And we need to protect the church. We need to guard the integrity of our church. We need to exercise the gifts that we have to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that comes about by being anchored in the truth of God's word. And it's why we're committed to expository preaching. It's why we're committed to studying God's word. It's why we're committed in small groups to the application of scripture in our lives. It's why we're committed to speaking the truth in love to one another, which is what we'll talk about next week. It is why This isn't 
one of the most upbeat messages, and I understand that. But I've been in this, I've been in the ministry for 31 years. And I don't want to see another divided church. And I don't believe you do either. That's what I'm grateful for. I know that's your heart. I know your heart is to protect this church. I know your heart is to guard this church. I know your heart is to stop slander and gossip and suspicion, bitterness, malice, wrath, anger, that we put away all those things. Let us be anchored in truth so we can wisely discern and we can protect the church. So Paul in verse 7 says, listen, Christ has apportioned. He's given you measure of gifting to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what we want to do. But what prevents us from unity and maturity? What prevents us from using the gifts that God has given us? I think three things that I I just thought about as I was preparing. One is unbelief about the the gifts God has given us. Well, my gift is, yeah, I mean, that's that's not really a gift. Or, you know, I, I just, there's really no place to use that gift. Or, I mean, we just, we come up with a lot of excuses, which are, they're just unbelief. God wants us to believe that, that Christ has given us gifts. Paul has told us there's a, a measure that his gifts have been given, that grace has been given to us, the ascended Christ. And in his authority, he has given these gifts. And if we're going to submit to his authority, we're going to use these gifts. So let us not be unbelieving about what God has given us, what God has the variety of gifts in this church, what God has wired us, created us uniquely to do. And if you're not sure, talk with somebody. Draw in somebody else. Another way I think that can prevent us from using our gifts is simply laziness. It's just just too hard. And that's why I think Paul, at the beginning in chapter 4, says, make every effort. Make every effort. Eagerly maintain. And then I think the last thing, it might be the possibility of selfish ambition and pride in not appreciating the gifts Jesus has given us. I want his gift. I want to be able to lead worship. I, you know, hey, if you want to preach, let me know. (laughs) Not. (laughs) Do you, do you honor the gifts that God has given you? Let's, let's test our hearts. Repentance is the first step towards maintaining the unity of the spirit that God is instructing us to work so hard for. If we have been unbelieving, if we have been lazy, if we have been prideful about the gifts God has given us, we must repent. 
And let's, let's, be, let's be humble. If, if we've criticized or minimized or marginalized the gifts that Jesus has given us, let's acknowledge that to the Lord. I love Grace Church. And I want you to love Grace Church too. And you'll love Grace Church if you experience unity here. You will not love Grace Church if you do not experience unity. You'll love some other church or something else on Sunday mornings. Let's not do that. Let's love Grace Church together, can we? John Stott, to end with this, John Stott says this. He says, here then is Paul's vision for the church. God's new society is to display charity, unity, diversity, and growing maturity. These are characteristics of a life worthy of the calling to which God has called us and which the apostle begs us to lead.